0: Hey, everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. It's our privilege to have with us Dr. Karen Blackwood, who's from the Inter Mountain Centre for Disaster Preparedness. Hi, Karen. Hi. So good to have you with us. Thanks for making it.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: (laughs) Oh, look, we're honoured, and you've had such a a big, big experience being with a range of different agencies, including the Navy as well. And so I'd love for you to just tell us about your role and what you do.
1: Well, I I currently am the director of the Intermountain Center for Disaster Preparedness. We're part of Intermountain Healthcare, which is the largest healthcare organization in the state of Utah uh, with hospitals and clinics in some surrounding states as well. My role currently at the ICDP is uh, to oversee the programs where we provide training and education for whole community readiness, including healthcare. Uh, We conduct research because, of course, anything you train on needs to be, uh, you know, the best practices, the most current information out there. Uh, We help with planning and assessments, uh, doing those risk assessments, making sure that we are truly ready. And then we conduct uh, exercises, disaster exercises.
0: Wow. And so when you work with communities and you do the training, are they exercise based or are they theory based?
1: Well, we try to limit uh, theoretical because we want need everything to be very applicable. Uh, it's not enough that we set people down yeah. and we just regurgitate information and we feed them yeah. in this didactic way. It's got to be applicable. They've got to get their hands dirty, basically. So really everything that we do as far as training, uh, it it Include some application process, whether it's uh, a skill station where they go around and practice something, or it's some type of an exercise where they have to apply what they've learned.
0: Okay, and has this always been of interest for you, working in community and doing training and research?
1: Oh, I have been. I've been in emergency management for years and years. Before coming to Utah, I did run the U.S. Navy's emergency management program uh, in uh, the. Western region, basically. Uh, and before that, I worked at the community level, at the county level. So it's all I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've on your profile, you know, you've worked with the Navy, Homeland Security, a range of other organizations. So why don't you share some of your experiences for our students and the people watching?
1: I think one of the things uh, here in the United States, we have defense support to civil authorities. And I think that that's one thing that communities don't quite understand is the role of uh the department of defense and the military when it comes to large scale disasters you know they don't come in and take over but they're a huge resource but it's very sp- specific uh where occasions where they can come in they can't just come into a local community and start taking over no matter what movies say you know things like that it just doesn't happen and in my role now with healthcare we sort of run into that same thing because we the different hospitals and Intermountain Healthcare has uh, many hospitals, but uh, even um, our partner uh, hospitals—they look at how they would evacuate during a disaster. How do you get patients out of out of a geographical area when something bad happens? And many of them, they think, well, we'll just call the National Guard or we'll call up and we'll use helicopters and stuff like that. And like, you can't do that because everybody's going to be expecting to use the same resources. Right. So I, I think it's important to understand that, uh, you know, there's a connection there, but they don't just come in, uh, you know, and and take over and solve all of our problems. Um, it's definitely got to be a partnership.
0: And w- why is that? Is this because there's the division between the military and civilian um, authority in a local area.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, here we have um, ver- restrictions on what the military can do within uh, within the United States. Uh, you know, um, it's not war fighting, so they have a very limited role. But they come with a lot of uh, resources, very expensive resources to be used, and, and so we need to make sure that they're the last tool that we call on uh, and we utilize our partner agencies, our local community uh, partners, as well as even state to state uh, assistance. Uh, We have the Emergency Management Assistant Compact, which where we can go to other states uh, and ask them for resources. Uh, And so I think it's, it's just understanding where we can pull resources from, who we can ask, and then prioritize them accordingly.
0: How does that work best? When the civilian organizations and a military organization are working together, there must be challenges and maybe misunderstandings at times. What's the best way to make that work well?
1: Oh, I think uh, speaking the same language helps a lot uh, as far as instant management. You know, we we use um, the instant command system, right. and uh, even the military, uh, that was part of my role within uh, Navy emergency management, was getting people up to speed on the instant command system so that when larger resources, even federal resources, other federal resources come in to a local community. Everybody's speaking the same language. We know know, and and that's the only way that we're going to be able to merge together during a large-scale disaster and be able to respond effectively. you know, knowing that I think everybody that gets into emergency management or into some type of first responder role, you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie, maybe a bit of a type A personality <laughs> just a little bit. And, and so understanding that other people have that same um, personality type and just being able to work with you know, and, and and come together seamlessly. There is, I tell people all the time, there's no competition during a disaster, whether you are a uh, competing healthcare or a hospital uh, from the one I work for during a disaster, there is no competition. It's all for what's, what's best for the community. And frankly, you don't want to be the one in charge uh, during a disaster, you know, just, just do your job and get through it and make sure that you're doing what needs to be done. Um, and, And don't try to, you know, Push yourself to be the person uh, in charge because that's where everything is going to land. But I think it all comes down to communication and coordination.
0: That's fantastic. So, Dr. Karen, you did your PhD. What in? Tell us about your PhD.
1: My PhD is in fire and emergency management administration from Oklahoma State University. It's uh, not, it, it's an interdisciplinary PhD. So, it's not a, a sociology degree or, um, in, in, in any specific field, it's a field all on of its own. Uh, mm. Looking, my my dissertation was on the willingness of um, nursing students to respond during disasters, uh, because again, that's an untapped uh, potential resource wow. that people don't call upon. In, you know, when you have thousands of individuals uh, going to school, but they have some type of basic knowledge that could be applied. So mm. uh, that was actually my dissertation. But yeah, it's. Um, uh, fire and emergency management and administration
0: and was there a willingness from training nurses to respond
1: there is a willingness uh, there are many factors that can influence uh, their willingness to respond, uh, depending on if they have children or dependents that they have to take care of. You know, And there's a, a difference between um, being willing to respond and being able to respond. Mm-hmm. Because you might be willing to respond and have all that altruism and really feel like, yes, I want to do what's right, but you don't have a vehicle or you can't actually get to your hospital, or your facility. So there is that difference. Some of the barriers was having dependents, Um, Not quite knowing what needs to be done, which is where my organization comes in. You know, if you don't know your roles and responsibilities or even what you could offer uh, during a disaster, then you're not going to be um, very confident in how you would respond. So increasing that self-efficacy so people Mm -hmm. feel like, yes, I can do this. uh, Those were some of the things that um, improved their uh, willingness uh, to respond.
0: So your findings from your PhD and working with nurses and them being included into a response to an emergency or a disaster, how has that impacted or changed the way that you do your role?
1: Oh, I think that it's imp- how we do our role. Um, even before we get to tr- the, the training piece, I think it's important that facilities, uh, hospitals, develop a plan a valid plan you know one that they've actually gone through and one that is comprehensive enough so that when we ask somebody to do something it's based on our our response plan on what our strategy is we're not just saying okay well this time you're going to you know do this job and the next time you know you as a nurse will do this job but but giving them uh, their roles and responsibilities and setting expectations because then once we have that plan that does that we can start training and then exercising to it which through training and exercises, raises their uh, their confidence in their ability to perform the tasks, tasks that are assigned.
0: Right. That's great. I often find when people do their PhD, sometimes there's a disconnect when they suddenly get their first role. Obviously, you didn't get your first role because you've been in the industry for a long time, but often that PhD gets done, the box is ticked, and then it goes on the shelf, and then it's not looked at again, and there's no practical yeah. application of it. So, did you get the? Did you look for opportunities to share the findings of your research once you'd completed your PhD to share it widely?
1: Um, I, I made it available for free, you know, for people who wanted to mm. take a look at it. Um, I work with uh, my organization; works with uh, uh, nursing schools here in the state of Utah. We do training different uh, trainings for right. them. So, making it available so that the their professors, their instructors, understand uh, maybe what's influencing them. Uh, and, and what might need to be focused on during um, their training uh, so that they come out in the end of nurse nursing uh, school with some basic foundation knowledge of disasters. Because right now, in most cases, it's not part of the curriculum. We're not teaching them in really anything about disasters. They're learning wow. anatomy and physiology. They're, you know, the, they're learning their uh, competencies as nurses, but not what their role might be during a disaster. Right.
0: It's a bit of a gap, isn't it?
1: It really is, especially (laughs) with COVID and all of the other things that that go on. And healthcare workers have a very specific skill set that is absolutely critical during a disaster. Mm. And when you have, you either need to continue caring for people uh, who are already in the hospital. You can't just kick them out of the hospital. They're sick. Babies are still being born. People still Mm. have contacts. And then you have the victims uh, from being injured or whatever it is that's going on in in the, the disaster, so we have to make sure that people are well trained and uh, confident in their uh, in the requirements, so that we can continue to provide those services.
0: Right. You just mentioned COVID. So, how has your role and your your department, your team, changed what you do and how they do things due to COVID?
1: Well, we're not operational based. Uh, So the hospitals have emergency management personnel, they have someone uh, sort of uh, guiding them and helping them develop the plans which were in place before COVID. Our role has been more of trying to determine exactly what training is needed. Now that we're because of COVID, you know, everybody will say, Oh, we need training. Well, yes, but exactly what kind of training do you need? It's not you know, we don't want to take up more time when we're still caring for patients and we still have this going on. So trying to figure out exactly what kind of training there is, but there is more demand. People do want to understand not just for a pandemic, but for we're in a very high uh, um, earthquake area um, here in the state of Utah. So, you know, what happens uh, when there's an earthquake uh, and what happens when there's an earthquake uh, as there was in 2020 here during a, a pandemic and then you have the civil unrest that was going on at the same time. So how do you manage those um, multiple things that, are, that are, are going on? So I think uh, figuring out the best way to uh, what what trainings needed, what pe- what people need to know and then how to de- deliver it when you can't hold in-person classes and that type of mm. thing.
0: So obviously, everyone has become more uh, fluent with using video conferencing, using a lot more technology. Apart from video conferencing, is there a technology that you've integrated into what you do and how you do it that you didn't use before? How has technology helped you during this time?
1: Well, I would say uh, things like Zoom or um, um, WebEx, Microsoft Teams, <clears throat> anything that provides this virtual capability has uh really change our operation because now it has broadened to where we have people from across the United States coming to our trainings instead of just Utah or maybe mm. surrounding states because we're offering this way in moving forward for my organization, we're going to offer hybrid courses where we, you mm. can come. Uh, we have a training facility. You can come here if you want, but it will uh, also be offered virtually so that those who are interested outside of the area can still participate.
0: Right, Have you hit not just using the technology, but have you had to train people to interact differently in a virtual oh. setting than being in person?
1: Well, I've had to learn to it because I am <laughs> a big I'm, I'm' big on expressions. You know I can read body language to tell if people are getting it or that uh-huh. means something to me. And when you're virtually and somebody shuts off their camera, but they're still on, I miss that. I, I need that mm. in order to be able to uh, deliver effectively. Uh, I need that you know nonverbal feedback, and mm-hmm. I'm the t- I. My organization is, we're located inside of an operating hospital, and during the height of COVID, we weren't in the office. Uh, from March of 2020, we worked remotely until uh, the beginning of July of this year, where we started coming back into the office. And I had to learn how to work remotely. I don't like it. I like interacting with people. You know, I I need that type of thing. So I think learning how to work more independently and uh, still feel effective. Uh, was something that that i had to learn and my team needed to learn and then just how to make the, how to make the technology work the way we need it to whether it's breakout right. groups or you know it's not just that chat feature that, that these systems provide but really utilizing them as robustly as we as we can mm. I
0: often found um even with our own students when we moved into a breakout room there's a lot of fear and worry that they'd get lost. They yes. Be able to make make their way back.
1: Come back, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes.
0: So, Karen, just in the in the few minutes that we have left, if people wanted to do your job and be in your area, what would you suggest that they do in terms of training and professional development and experiences to prepare themselves to do your role well?
1: That's a good question. Um, Seek out, you know, it's not just uh, education, but it's uh, gaining some experience um whether it's volunteering with uh, a nonprofit organization uh, just so that you get some type of experience uh during disasters uh helping um so i think experience is extremely important uh seeking out opportunities for, for different types of training um if you wanted to do my specific role become familiar with um healthcare Uh, And uh, a healthcare organization's role during a disaster and how those partnerships work, how that coordination works. I think that would be another important piece to it. Right. And familiar with adult education would be another one.
0: Adult ed, okay. You mentioned that when the military comes in and civilian organizations have to work with them, having that common language is important. So do you think if someone wants to work in say healthcare, they need to be familiar with that industry or they wanna work in a different area, they have to know the actual industry?
1: I would say absolutely yes. If you wanted okay. to work in the private sector, say for um, a utility company and hmm. doing their emergency management or their emergency hmm. planning, you would need to be familiar with The utility industry, because that's the only way you're going to understand the role of your organization when it comes to a a collaborative uh, response. You can't start planning if you don't understand what your uh, organization's bringing to the table and what the expectations are for your organization.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good understanding for people have to have to understand the industry and not only the emergency management language, but also the context that that might operate in. Absolutely. Dr. Karen, I really want to thank you for your time. I know you're very busy. So thank you for sharing some of your experiences and some of your learnings and ways of working. I really appreciate you being with us here today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you.